This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by Fraser Nelson and James Forsyth. So we have the news today that the UK government has imposed sanctions on hundreds of Russian parliamentarians as part of its response to the war in Ukraine. James, what does this mean in practice? Is it something which they're going to really feel the pain of um, over there in Moscow? So I think this is something that the UK government have wanted to do for a while. But as with the sanctions on the individual oligarchs yesterday, until they could change the law, they they were restricted in their ability to do that. I think this is more symbolic than anything else. But I think there is also an element of trying to drive wedges, I think, between Putin and some of the other people within the Russian power structures here. You know, you voted for the war, therefore you won't be able to come and holiday in the south of France or in the UK's case, you know, come shopping in London or send you or come and visit your kids if they're at school or university over here. All of those kind of things. So I, I think it might have some effect at the margin, but this is not, you know, this is not on the same level of anywhere near the same level of significance as for example kind of cutting Russian banks off from SWIFT and the like. Fraser the government's under pressure to expand sanctions to um, relatives stepchildren of uh, senior Moscow politicians do you think that would be effective what is the ultimate aim the UK government's trying to have here? I guess it's aiming to uh, address people who say that it's been getting rich in Russian money for a while. Obviously, it wants to get tougher. I have to admit, though, that I feel rather uncomfortable with um, imposing sanctions on people who haven't broken any laws. Um, I do understand that the government says these guys are close to Putin. But, you know, it's, it's it hasn't really been... I, I, I would feel happier if there was some judicial process where this was demonstrated or some cr- clearer criteria. Right now, it does just look like p- punishing sort of random Russians who we think are, are baddies. And this is this is the strange thing. I think that when one fights against a, a kleptocratic country, you need to behave differently and uphold the rule of law. Uh, so the, all of this does make me a little bit nervous. I'm certainly not one saying that we should be casting the... Sanctions net wider. I'm not even sure what effect it has. I mean, the idea is that Abramovich will be so angry he'll be on the phone to Putin saying, "Pull out of Ukraine because I can't get into Claridge's anymore." I know that has long been the argument for, you know, these unexplained wealth orders. By the way, unexplained wealth orders are actually at least they're judicial. At least they are clear and they make sense and they are passed by a rule of parliament. I'm not sure the rest goes much beyond doing something for the sake of doing something. Now, in terms of what tools the UK government still has to play, James, Boris Johnson has given an interview to Sky News where he said that he fears Putin may use chemical weapons in Ukraine. That reflects uh, what we've been hearing from US figures. Ultimately, this is because Putin is now accusing the Ukrainians of working on this. And as a general rule, I think to create some type of false justification, they do this and then they go. So... Is this something the UK government's bracing for to happen in the coming days? I think the concern is, as you say, Katie, that the Russians have started talking about this. And then the Russian and Chinese media massively ramp this up, this idea that there are, I mean, it's, it, that there are kind of US bi- biological labs in Ukraine. You know, in truth, what there is, is a US programme to deal with the leftover Soviet labs there. And so 
I think there is concern that he might do this. I mean, there is also concern that his uh, in Syria chemical weapons were used, and you know the Russian playbook right now looks horrendously similar to what was done in Syria. Fraser, if we end up in a situation where there is a chemical attack, do you think that means the UK would have a different reaction, would go further than they have yet in response? Oh, yes, certainly. There would have to be a different reaction. I mean, this is what we saw during the Syrian war when the Assad regime did use chemical weapons. This was the the famous red line that Obama said that should not be crossed. When it was crossed, of course, there were attempts to try to deploy troops there, but that didn't happen. Instead, there were missile strikes. But there would have to be some kind of escalation. Although the difficult thing here is that NATO allies have said again and again and again that they will not directly fight Russian troops in Ukraine. So I'm not quite sure what the escalation could be. But um, I think it is a fairly well-established precedent that the use of chemical weapons would mean a, a different situation. James, where's NATO on this? I think trying to create some deliberate ambiguity. So on, for example, no-fly zone, NATO has been very clear it doesn't want to do that because it doesn't want to get into shooting down Russian jets and escalation. I think on the use of chemical weapons, NATO is trying to create uncertainty about how it would respond in the hope that that might deter Vladimir Putin from using them. I thought it was quite interesting that James Heath, one of the defence ministers, has been very careful to say, well, look, we're not going to say what our red lines are, but Russia should be aware that the use of chemical weapons has generally brought a response from the international community. I think that is designed to make Moscow worry that if it were to use chemical weapons, uh, the NATO might be prepared to respond militarily. And just finally, Fraser, uh, in this week's Saturday shots, so tomorrow, um, we'll be looking at the UK's refugee offer compared to other countries in detail. But in your Telegraph column, you write that Pretty Patel yesterday asked for permission to widen criteria for accepting Ukrainian refugees, but number 10 refused. How messy is the situation getting? It's complete chaos. Priti Patel herself has been saying things that are factually untrue. Um, for example, she said that she, she she denied that any Ukrainian was turned back while Kate Andrews and Max Jeffrey went out there on Monday and found otherwise. She said that there were British officials in Calais that weren't. She isn't a liar. She was simply misbriefed by her department. So... She gets a lot of criticism, Brittany Patel, because she strikes a lot of people as the, the the sort of unacceptable face of Tory intransigence. But she was the one going to number 10 saying, look, we've got to widen these criteria. It's not enough to say you can only apply if you've got a family member here uh, a per, who's a permanent resident. She wanted to expand it to include students and people on temporary work visas as well. But it was number 10 that rejected that. So that's quite interesting because Boris Johnson in public, he's saying he's doing everything he can to help Ukrainian refugees. In practice, he's actually vetoing plans to do more. So, and again, this is simply because the government is at sixes and sevens. It can't quite decide whether it wants to actually come up with a policy that matches Boris Johnson's words or whether it is worried that your average um, punter is going to think, look, this government can't control immigration in the first place. Look at all these small boats crossing. The last thing we want is Ukrainians coming in. Now, I obviously take a different view to that. I think we've got a moral duty to accept anybody with a Ukrainian passport. After all, we're the ones sending 2,000 anti-tank missiles over to Ukraine. It's hard to sponsor the persecution of a war while not accepting any responsibility for the refugees of that war. 
And I think it's a bit of a shame that having been ahead of the curve for so much of his conflict, Boris Johnson now looks like he's going to be the last leader in Europe to recognise that you're going to have to do away with entry visas for people coming here from a war zone. If you're a mother of two kids or um, fleeing Ukraine, you don't need to prove why it's necessary to, f- to flee Ukraine. We've got hospitals being shelled, we've got mass graves being filled. So it should be straightforward, but it isn't. And one other um, snippet, Katie, that interested me, the army is now being sent off to help process visa applications. Now, you know, this is a typical feature of James has written before of Boris Johnson's rule. Any time a problem gets too difficult, send in the army. I mean, what have the army been doing so far, James? Uh, they have driven hospitals during COVID. Have they, uh, sorry, driven hospitals. Um, they, they have driven... Very They've driven, driven ambulances during COVID. They've helped uh, restore power after storm damage. Uh, they did the vaccination program, the logistics of that, and also some of the jabbing. And I think what, what we need is a resilience corps that is separate from the army. The army has only around 20,000 deployable troops. If you plan to keep on reducing the manpower of the army and at the same time expected to step in in all these domestic situations it, it, it is not going to work and I think this is but this is you know well, the we, idea we haven't of, actually said yet what the army are now being asked to do they're being asked to go to Poland to help Home Office officials process paperwork from Ukrainians who are in Poland wanting to come to Britain now you might think to yourself how is that a soldier's job you're processing paperwork well it turns out that the Home Office say that its staff are bound by the EU's working time directive so they can't work too hard when they're over there in Poland because they hit the maximum time allowed and then they down tools so the home office has gone to the the mod saying look these soldiers they're not bound by the working time directive they just ply on so we're having troops sent out to poland to do bureaucratic work because the home office cannot get it sorted yet another item to add to james's list of things the army are doing which they shouldn't do and this to me just paints another sign of a government having serious organizational problems this government is simply ineffective and sphere after sphere after sphere and you wonder what Boris Johnson expects of his overall strategy is to grow this government machine to the biggest size ever it already struggles to do basic things so I think this is you know bad in itself but points to a wider governing problem the Conservatives have got. Thank you Fraser thank you James and thank you for listening and while we have you here do check out the Coffee House Shots live event we've got coming up where we'll be digesting and analysing the spring statement clearly Ukraine and Russia is going to have an impact on that that's going to be on the 23rd of March Wednesday tickets details online doors from 7pm Emmanuel Centre Um, we might sneak in some spectator gin depending on the licensing laws of the venue just go to www.spectator.co.uk forward slash spring